Hello and welcome to the podcast Paper Trail Pro. In our previous podcast we examined the early career of British Army and Loyalist paramilitary Brian Nelson. In this podcast we out Britain's man of Maynooth and examine the cosy relationship between a highly influential Irish Monsignor and a British covert spy and propaganda unit. At first glance the file I found in the National Archives Q London was a brief quite nondescript information report from one British civil servant in the Dublin Embassy to another British civil servant in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. Looks can be deceiving though. The Information Policy Report from the Republic of Ireland dated 23rd of September 1971 was prepared by Information Officer PJC Evans for D.N. Brinson working in the Guidance and Information Policy Department of the Foreign and Commonwealth Office or the FCO. Evans' report briefly outlines the objectives and methods of the small and seemingly stretched information section a few weeks after internment when hundreds of Irish Catholics were rounded up and held without trial. Nevertheless, it was sent with a secret annex on the IRD activity, which jumped out at me, as it highlighted that the post was run by the infamous Information Research Department. The IRD was a deeply covert propaganda unit that was set up within the FCO primarily to combat the communist threat during the Cold War. It was also brought into the north of Ireland by British Prime Minister Edward Heath in the early 70s to be used against the Irish Republican Army. I have researched and written about it due to the covert management of information and dissemination of black propaganda in the aftermath of the atrocity and death of my grandmother in the McGurk's Bar Massacre. In the north of Ireland, the IRD helped manage British information policy and reorganise the information activity of agencies including Headquarters Northern Ireland, the Office of the UK Representative and the RUC Information Office. Whilst researching my first book, I accessed a file which proved that the IRD appointed Clifford Hill and Hugh Mooney to the Office of Howard Smith, the UK Representative at Stormont, who was Whitehall's man on the ground in the north of Ireland. Hugh Mooney liaised closely with the British Army's top secret information policy unit, which was run by expert propagandist Colonel Morris Tugwell and reported directly to the General Officer Commanding. Mooney's post of Information Advisor to the General Officer Commanding, or GOC, was a cover appointment for the representative of the Information Research Department. In Stormont circles, Hill was simply known as Cliff the Spy. Evans notes that his Dublin section was distributing Quote, a variety of IRD written material on aspects of world communism to contacts including the Irish Department of Foreign Affairs, DFA. The DFA, Evans says, though, was small and overworked and scarcely able to digest IRD material, never mind put it to any propaganda use. These were evidently overt channels of dissemination, but Evans also relays that information was being passed in confidence to one or two trusted local journalists who wrote about communist affairs. He also records that the second category of IRD activity at this post concerns the indoctrination of journalist contacts writing on Anglo-Irish affairs. It is newsworthy and quite current to find record of a state and a foreign state at that seeking to exert control over information that is placed in the Irish public domain via so-called trusted media. Indeed, Evans writes that the stated aim is to induce, as frequently as we can, reliable journalist contacts to publish articles in their own names which contain substantial amounts of information provided by the information officer. Nevertheless, such journalistic contacts are the stock and trade of the information officer's job, 
so I anticipated such IRD activities as these. No matter how shocking it may be to contemplate, indigenous media would be so open to foreign propaganda. Furthermore, these are unnamed channels for the dissemination of material manufactured by the British IRD. There is a named source within the secret annex though, and he was a man in a position of great spiritual and civic influence. Evans recorded that the very well-known, high-ranking Irish Catholic cleric was contact for the department and in receipt of certain IRD material. His name was Monsignor Jeremiah Newman and he was the president of Maynooth College, the training centre for Catholic priesthood in Ireland, as Evans tells Brinson. Newman later became Bishop of Limerick. Eastern European topics seems to be the primary concern of this selected material and it's unsurprising that the Catholic hierarchy would have an ear for anti-communist propaganda due to the historical antagonism between the ideologies. Indeed, Evans hints that it is an easy sell as he writes, with the priests in charge of religious seminaries who send priests on missionary work abroad, we are preaching to the convert. Nevertheless, a war was raging in the northeast of the island at that time and the British administration had recently raised a highly discriminatory special power, internment without trial, against this Roman Catholic population and its Roman Catholic population alone. Indeed, when internment was introduced a few weeks beforehand on 9th of August, the British Army killed 11 Catholic civilians in Ballymurphy, West Belfast over three days, including the local parish priest. So for a high-ranking, influential Irish cleric to be in such close contact with the clandestine unit of the British administration and in receipt of its propaganda is highly controversial. Nevertheless, stark questions regarding the relationship between the IRD and Newman remain to be answered. Was this relationship sanctioned by the Catholic hierarchy? Did the Irish government know about the relationship? What propaganda was promulgated? Was it simply anti-communist or did it expand to include material on the north of Ireland? How long did the relationship last and were other clerics targeted? What did Newman and or the Catholic Church get from a relationship? And were the young Irish priests aware that the information being fed to them was provided by the highly secret and classified agency of a foreign power, the British state. Jeremiah Newman was a scholar of note who studied in Louvain and Oxford universities after Maynooth. He taught scholastic philosophy at Queen's University Belfast in the early 50s before returning to teach at Maynooth, becoming president of the college in 1968. His output as an author was prodigious, with over 20 books on subjects ranging from regional planning to postmodernism and the church and the state. Then, in 1974, he was appointed as Bishop of Limerick, which dragged him from his closeted academic existence at Maynooth. By this time, Ireland was growing more prosperous, and Irish society was changing fast, becoming increasingly secular and liberal. Despite his intellectualism, and ironically considering his name, Newman's pastoral leadership was suited for the generation before Vatican II's reforms of 1962. He stringently believed in the unassailable right of the Catholic Church to influence the civil law of Ireland, and he often intervened personally. He reeled against secularism and ecumenism, and his dogmatic pronouncements at times caused unease even amongst the Catholic hierarchy. The Irish Times recorded for posterity two of his most characteristically controversial interventions in his obituary printed on 4th of April 1995. In May 1976, at a time when sectarian killings perpetrated by both sides in the northeast of Ireland were once more peaking, Newman warned against the dangers to Irish society of secularism, the strident propaganda of minorities, and the effort to conciliate the North, and urged action to prevent the incorporation of an inordinate special position for non-Catholic minorities in the state's laws. 
Then the following January, during a Christian Unity Week service of all things, he reminded the cross-community flock that Catholics would still be the majority in a united Ireland. The Protestant Dean of Limerick, rightly outraged, said that with such a statement the Bishop might as well go north and load the guns of the UVF. Newman's views on sexual morals, contraception, divorce and even disarmament were similarly dogmatic and authoritarian. Nevertheless, Newman's bitterest legacy will be felt by those who were vulnerable children in his diocese. In September 2012, the National Board for Safeguarding Children in the Catholic Church in Ireland heavily criticised Newman for inadequate handling of accusations of child abuse by his clerics. In one instance, Newman knowingly allowed an abusive priest return from England and minister in the Limerick Diocese, where the priest is believed to have continued his rape of children. It seems that Newman's strict sexual moral code did not stress to include the protection of children from his own priests. Though as well as a paedophile protector, Newman can now add covert contact for British spies and propagandists to his toxic legacy. You can read about this and other historical discoveries in a collection of my essays and articles called Trope, which is being published to raise funds for the charity Paper Trail. On our website, www.papertrail.pro, you will find details of the work we do, which includes offering advocacy support to victims and survivors of the conflict. This project is supported by the European Union's Peace 4 programme, and is managed by the special EU programmes body and Victims and Survivors Service. We help those who may wish to engage with statutory bodies dealing with the legacy of the conflict. We work closely with campaigners and legal teams to target and retrieve key archives from public records. In our next Paper Trail Pro podcast, we touch on the McGurk's Bar Massacre and ask whether Lord Jerry Fitt was a snake in the grass. My name is Kieran McGarch. Thank you for listening.